Folks, welcome back to the Jake Feinberg Show. And what an honor it is to bring in somebody who has made a living basically playing incredible music his whole life, and in many cases working with the upper echelon of musicians, everybody from John Pierce and Andy Simpkins to Paul Winter and Marlena Shaw, Count Basie and Tony Bennett. And he's still practicing today, hoping to get back on the bandstand. Harold Jones, welcome back to the Jake Feinberg Show. All right, well, thank you, Jake. How you doing, man? Hey, man, it's so good to hear you, brother. You know, I just wanted you to talk a little bit about a guy we just just lost, Ahmad Jamal. He passed away yesterday. Oh, man. I heard it. Yeah. And, you know, you were in Calumet City. He was in Calumet City. Uh, I don't know if you overlapped at all, but did you ever cross paths with Ahmad? I, I did, but I only did to go by to hear him. When he, when he worked, uh, there was a, a little nightclub in Chicago that the Muslims organization bought. Wow. And he played, he was a house piano player. I don't want to word it that way, but he played his steady gigs there in that place. And he had that's when he had Brunel Fournier. Oh my god, the greatest of all t- wait, or was it was it called Pershing? Pershing Lounge? No, it was now there's one place that he played. Right. That's one place. Right. When when you were playing at Dinah Washington's club, you that's when you would go and maybe check out Ahmad at the Muslim Club, or when did you first see him there? Well, I can't remember because that that was later in Chicago from when I was first there. Oh wow! So I've got to say maybe the late or middle sixties to the late sixties. I can't remember the name of it. Boy, it was a really a uptown classy kind of club. Really? Oh yeah. Oh man, dude, I'd love. Yeah, I got to figure that out. Yeah, you got to check that. I don't know where you fact check that one. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Well, I want you yeah. to talk a little bit about what you think. You know, to me, uh, I just feel like a lot of people don't realize that he started Chess Records as a, as the jazz guy with Bo Diddley, Muddy Waters, and Chuck Berry, and he was the jazzer. And I just I wonder if you could talk about. There's two cats I really wanted that were front of mind for me. And I wanted you to talk about what you feel their legacy is to modern American music. And one is Ahmad, and the other one is, is the another cat that just left us was Wayne Shorter. Yeah. Well, I, I knew more about Ahmad because Wayne Shorter was out with, with the other cats, Herbie Hancock and Miles. You of know? course. And, and I was more Chicago and, and gigging that way and then coming up with the big band era, style, side, or whatever you want to call it. But Ahmed, man, he was he was almost above the level of jazz when he was in Chicago. He was, you know, everybody considered him upper uptown jazz. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, what is that? Is so cl- so wait, but that doesn't mean that means like he was. Do you do you think he was doing like third stream music, like a fusion of classical with jazz? What does it mean, uptown jazz? Uptown to me that when he played, it sounded good. Um, it was it was it was clean. Yeah, he had good technique. There was never any. Uh, he always was trying to say something when he when he played a solo. 
it was always very musical. You're darn and, right, man. And 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 never and never too many notes. You know, it was always right. just like a really succinct but soulful right. message. You know, right, right. Even though I heard him make some fast runs, he it, it wasn't typical of a character of his style. Exactly. You know, he just put it in so it would say something at the end of a phrase or something. Yeah, it, he, I, I I know the, the the there was one club that he probably played at. You probably played at Mister Kelly's, but that's not what you're the one you're talking about either. No, yeah, no, yeah, no, and not. And you know that yeah, that Mister Kelly's isn't there anymore. I went by to see it, and it was a Burger King. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man, Mister Kelly's was as far uptown as you can go. Dude, I'm gonna I'm gonna do some. Re- so you're saying that this, but this was a uh, Ahmad had a residency. Was this a, was this did this club have like a jazz, um, like like it was kind of like they, it was a jazz club, or he just sort of had a residency there. Um, I'm gonna have to fact check that with somebody that's still alive because uh, <laughs> I, it it was on a street like. Uh, same street the American Conservatory was on. I want to say that was was it Wabash that ran or Lake Michigan. Right. It could have been one of those roads straight down in there, just around like 39th, around the in the 30s. It was not on the far south side where the other jazz clubs were. Absolutely. Yeah, for Almond. and uh, that's another reason it didn't have a lot of thorough traffic. And uh, I think. Uh, some people were afraid to come that far south that, that lived up north. And some people thought it was too far north to go to it. They lived down south. But you, <laughs> so you, it was something, it was a destination point for Harold Jones. You would go check it out. Yeah, yeah. You know, I might have been in one of the little trios that they had go through there. Oh, way, but, way, way. way. I, played, yeah. I played with a lot of the guys like Willie Pickens and uh, Jody Thompson. Jody Christian or Jody Thompson? Jody Christian. Jo- yeah. You were playing with yeah. Jody Christian. This is unbelievable. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, they were swinging days. Swing. Dude, I can... Just so good to hear Harold's voice again. All right, but I want to read this quote because <clears throat> I, I, my, my, uh, I interviewed Ahmad on my show in 2016. It actually is a, really the definitive interview. It's a remarkable interview, and I transcribed it, and uh, I wanted to read this to you, and then... You can riff on it any way you want. He said, uh, I was fortunate fortunate to have extraordinary drummers. Most of them were from New Orleans, beginning with Vernel Fournier. He's one of the most innovative drummers in the world. You can't patent the things he did, and if you could, you would have been a multimillionaire. The things he did on Poinciana, for example, are heard in every sector of drumming. There are only four or five cities that have parallel development to New Orleans. Pittsburgh, Memphis, Detroit, Kansas City, and East St. Louis. These cities created the Sidney Bechets or produced the Louis Armstrongs, the Billy Strayhorns, the Miles Davises, if I may say the Jamals and Johnny Costa, who was the pianist on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. In Leonard, in Chicago, Leonard Chess Oh my God! Also owned a nightclub called the Macambo. It wasn't the Macambo, was it? Well, no. No. Nah. 
I don't think so. This is the what I wanted to read you, though. <clears throat> All the people who are connected with Chicago are not Chicago natives. Chicago's a melting pot, if I may. George Coleman traveled from Memphis. I traveled from Pittsburgh. Vernell traveled from New Orleans. That, <clears throat> to me, was profound. He talked about parallel development, Pittsburgh, Memphis, Detroit, Kansas City, and East St. Louis. Yeah. Why don't you talk about that? Do you do you agree with that? And and uh... yes, yes, I do. It was a melting pot, and not only that, they knew once you got your got your once you graduated from the melting pot, you had to go through New York. That's right. That's that's, yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you, you, if you were going to make it, you had to go to New York. Yes. Yeah. For some reason that was a mental attitude and a musical attitude. Yeah. And, uh, uh, but I loved it because Chicago was wall-to-wall clubs on the south side and along 63rd Street and uh, downtown when it was Mr. Kelly's and all of those, the Black Orchid. And there was a couple of them right around in there. Then there was a Playboy Club. And then they had, they invented Old Town. Oh, absolutely. Miles, Miles came through and, and different cats. And there was wall-to-wall clubs up there and wall-to-wall clubs right right on the near north side. And, uh, yeah, it was clubs. I mean, you could walk to five or six different clubs in those different areas. They would all be, be within a two-block radius. So Chicago was definitely jumping. Yeah. You know, I, like thinking back, I mean, we, we kind of talked a little bit about in one of our previous interviews about ultimately connecting with, with Basie uh, for you. But I, w- were you, even though it was that, there was that word on the street, oh, if you're really going to, if you're really going to consider it be successful jazz or you got to go to New York, um, for Harold Jones, I mean, if if you were able to sing for your supper in Chicago, did you feel like you'd be totally content lit, staying there? Or did you also feel like you needed to, that you felt that peer pressure to go to New York? I never felt peer pressure to go to New York. I, I was always into the music, playing to the best music I could play. As a matter of fact, I was making over six hundred dollars a week oh. living in Chicago. Oh my Chicago. God, that's like that's like that's like three thousand dollars today. That's exactly because <laughs> I was at the Playboy Club. I was doing a TV show, and then I was working my nightclubs five, six nights, six, seven nights a week. <sighs> yeah, in Chicago. And then I took the gig with Basie on the road to pay a hotel bill and everything for three hundred dollars a week. <laughs> yeah, so so I was only thinking music. I love it. Oh, by the way, the the, yeah. the, the club that Miles uh, made famous was the Plug Nickel there. Oh yeah, yeah. Chicago was yeah, wall yeah. to wall. It was a wall to wall place. Uh, did you get a chance to ever? Uh, hang or or sort of uh, cross paths with Vernell Fournier? Did you ever talk? I mean, the guy was such a... Oh, yes, yes, Can many times. Please many talk times. about him. He because, and I, yeah. He and I were, uh, we almost thought we were related to some cousins. Really? Yeah, yeah, we really did. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I I tell you, I played that Ponciana in my at home playing along with the song imitating what I heard him playing. And then once, I mean, I must have been playing it for a year or more. <laughs> and once I got to see him play it in person, 
I realized I was doing it like backwards in, in the hand that he was using to produce the sounds. And I, it truly was amazing to hear it one and then to actually see it. Yeah. So, so. Well, I mean, when you talk, when he talks, when Ahmad says uh, the things he did on Poisiana, uh you can't you can't even patent the things he did. I mean, what what I've listened to that song so many times. Um, yeah, yeah. What were the subtleties, regardless of what you thought you were doing right or wrong? What what was he doing that was basically absolutely impossible to? Uh, you know, transpose or to copy. Well, there, there, there was a, there was a, there's a symbol thing on two and four that's constant throughout the song. Now, I was using my right hand on the ride symbol. It turns out he was using his left hand on a left hand, left hand symbol, wow. and playing around the drums with his right hand. I was going around the drums with my left hand. And you almost end up crossing arms and hands. It ain't that easy the way I was doing it backwards. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I was getting through it, not and not knowing any better. It was okay. But when I saw him playing, man, it was unreal. Oh, my yeah. God, man. That is yeah. fantastic stuff. <clears throat> you, you, uh, did you know Richard Evans, the bass player? Richard Evans and I went on the first, American Goodwill Tour for President Kennedy. We We're, were in the Paul Winter Band together. That, thank you, dude. The greatest, that might be the greatest rhythm section of all time. I'm not even kidding. Oh, man. Warren Bernhardt on piano. I think he might have passed yeah. as well. I think he... He did. He did. What an, dude, Warren, I remember that. You, you. Everyone was getting real worked up because <clears throat> they wanted... You told me they thought, you know... Should have been Duke or Basie or maybe even Louis was right. and and they chose Paul. But dude, I mean, you can't beat Richard Evans and Harold Jones, man. <laughs> and Warren Bernhardt and Bernhardt the rhythms, absolutely, man. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. Richard, I, did you do any work? I mean, Richard was uh, ensconced in the studio scene in Chicago too, and he did. Were you working with him? Uh, after the you know the Paul Winter thing was the early '60s, but once you were in Chicago, did you do any work with him? No, I didn't do work with him until after. I want to say then. Then he moved to Boston. I don't know what time, what year that was. Right. But uh, it, well, he must have been in Chicago. That's how we formed the band. Yeah, yeah, and it was Paul that formed it. That went around hurting here and the cats. Wow. Yeah. Wait. So Paul. Could, yeah. So Paul. I didn't even know Paul was in Chicago. Paul was in Chicago being a talent scout, and he found you guys. He was there going to school or something, I believe. I believe he was going to school because we were called the, the number one college jazz band at the college jazz band contest they had for for everybody in America. We won it. Yeah. Wow. And, and I mean, the judges were very knowledgeable because it was... Uh, John Hammond. It was like Quincy Jones. John Hammond is the one that discovered Count Basie. Now we're talking about uh, the guy at Columbia Records, right? You know, I can't remember. Was it Columbia? Yeah, I'm pretty. You know, Hammond. Hammond was everywhere. Hammond was ubiquitous. He discovered. Yeah, I, he, that was him. It was Columbia. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. John Hammond. 
And I mean, uh, yeah, he he loved our band. He liked our band because he heard jazz. But uh, he's the one who discovered Count Basie and took Basie's band to New York and bought them uniforms. Oh, my. Bought them yeah. uniforms. John Hammond, he did all that. And then the other judges, I remember one of them was Gene Lees. Yes. That's the guy that was at the time, he was the editor of Downbeat. I know, I know the name. I've seen him writing liner notes everywhere. Wow! So you really, uh, yeah. these cats weren't screwing. They knew what they were do, they, what they were hearing. Yeah, they knew what they were hearing. Who yeah, do you mean, remember? Any were there any peers of yours that you were going up against in that competition? Do you remember? Or is it, in that competition, no. <laughs> wow! Wow! We we were young college cats, and everybody else was young college. Cats. Oh, I love it. And all, all my peers were the giants. You know. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, I mean, yeah, I've, been, I've been hearing Max and Elvin and Art and Buddy and I. Yeah, I didn't. <laughs> no, no, I wasn't looking behind me. I was looking in front of me. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, I love it. Um, yeah. <clears throat> did you? Can you can you talk about uh, before I forget? Um, you know. I, he was a, a man of few words. He was a poet. He was a painter on the on on his instrument. Ultimately, he he really he became a leader in 1958. I didn't even know that. And uh, Wayne Shorter. I, I mean, can you talk about Wayne's significance to this music? I can't. I really can't. I didn't know him that much. <laughs> Excuse me. And whatever he played. Was always a different. I I, I never played his his tunes even. It, no, I was just for some reason that was another genre. Absolutely, it's, it's interesting. Interesting. Well, you're even talking yeah. now. When you okay, so but are you talking about the Blue Note Wayne or the Weather Report Wayne? Uh, Blue Note. Because I mean, he was doing you know. Uh, all this incredible stuff on Blue Note throughout the 60s. And then, obviously, he was part of that Mahavishnu Orchestra, Return to Forever, but Weather Report. Did you ever, did you, did you, I mean, did you, were you hip to Weather Report? Did you, did you like that band or was I, that? Oh, I was hip to Weather Report, but no, I wasn't listening to them that much. Right. Like, I didn't know their tunes. I really didn't. And, I mean, when you're with guys like Basie, you know, and them, it was like, uh, well, this is the beboppers. This is the kids running around. I know. They're, what are they playing? What kind of ridiculous noise is that, you know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, I knew that Bird was a man, and I knew when Train came along, he was a man. Right. Yeah, so we knew those couple when they came through. That's fantastic. Yeah. <clears throat> what about Sonny Rollins? Well, yeah, Sonny was always like, he just, he just missed his calling somehow or other because uh, there was the Dexter Gordons and uh, Absolutely. Gene Ammon. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, and all those guys that had that big sound. And then there was the... Uh, uh, well, it was a Cannonball, too. Yeah, yeah. You know, and Cannonball and, was doing like, you know, the... <laughs> Cannon was was one of those cats like the the Jazz Crusaders, Horace Silver. They were sort of doing these crossover uh, blues, jazz kind of thing, very bluesy stuff. 
Yeah. The weather yeah. report, the weather report stuff, uh, I mean, it's just like sheets of, I mean, it's electric, first of all, you know, and then, I mean, the, yeah. the thing about Wayne is, the cool thing about weather report for me was that uh, the, they didn't have a lead guitar player. The lead, the lead instrument was the saxophone, which is reminiscent of going back to the, the Coleman Hawkins and, you know, the Gene Ammons yeah. days, you know, when the guitar was, like, when the guitar was used like Freddie Green used it, you know, as a rhythm instrument. Yeah, yeah. Can you just talk to me about even at your at this point in your career with all that you've done the the gigs all the gigs some good pay some not so good but you've gone all over the world you've played with so many <clears throat> you know incredible artists and yourself included and yet are you like I, when I talked to you the other day it sounded like you were still itching to play like you're not very peaceful right now because you're not playing yeah yeah i mean this pandemic man put a pause put a hold on creativity for a minute <laughs> a lot well and especially for 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 people that are a little bit older it's still put a yeah. hold on them you know yeah yeah and I could nip, to, nip the motivation, and like hard to get a motivation now, again, because you don't see a, a future of something. Uh, I I don't know what to say here, but no, lost a little motivation for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, because like you know, essentially a lot. Of, I mean, I've been out back on the road for quite a while now, but um, you know, checking out. My, my my friends' bands and things like that, but you know most of the. I'm not even talking about the places that you would play with Tony or things like that. But a lot of the bars are still broke. You know they don't have money to really. I mean they they barely could pay the musicians in 2022. Right. Now it's like they're kind of getting a little bit healthier, but still. I mean to be a road. Right. You know just to be a road dog musician like. If that even, you know, it's just become harder than ever. And with inflation, cost right. of living, it's, so it's just, I mean, you're looking for inspiration and you're getting all this just, you're getting a lot of darkness, you know? Right. Right. How do you, yeah. how do you uh, keep your, keep yourself um, steady and even during these times outside of the, uh, the practice pad? I mean, are you able to sit back? Are you content? with your career yeah 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 because uh most of my real my style my genre of people are kind of oh i want to say most of them are gone i came in as the youngest one of that type of music i'm right. thinking like when i i was the youngest player on basie's band you know so consequently by now there's only uh, two guys alive that were in the band when I was there. And one was Oscar Bashir. Another one was uh, is Johnny Williams. Johnny? Oh, wait, Oscar was in the, the Basie band with you? Yeah. And you're telling, and you were, he was, he was younger than you. Is that, or? Yeah, he was younger than me. Uh, uh. Wow, that's mind blowing. I, I think we're almost within the year, aren't we? I just, uh, to me, I thought you were really 
I mean, the fact that you were already recording, even though it was the college Goodwill tour, I mean, I don't, I don't remember seeing Oscar really getting into the scene until at least six or seven years later, but I don't know. I mean, well, I, I don't well, know. I was, I was 27 years old when I joined the band and that was in 1967 and Oscar came in about a year or two later. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, that sounds about yeah. right. Um, he yeah. was, for a period of time, I know he put the horn, I talked to George Bohannon a lot, and uh, I know oh, that, a, good friend. a great guy, man, and uh, yeah. I know Oscar put stopped playing the trumpet, but man, he was a two, He was a force of nature at that time, man. So are you telling me that Oscar did quit playing? Yeah, yeah. For quite some time now. I mean, it's been pretty disenchanting for for George <coughs> because Oscar's kind of lost without playing, but he has, he, like you said, the motivation. He just and he's been and, and this was yeah. before COVID. This was before COVID. He's he hasn't been played in yeah. a long time. Who is Johnny? Wow. Will, where is Johnny Williams at? I mean, I, I need to talk to that cat. Yeah, uh, yeah, he's. Um, well, I could give you his number. Yeah, that's the best. Uh, he's, uh, he's still alive and he's older than me. Oh my dude, this dude, where, what's his background? I mean, was he a bebopper before or he was, you, you know what? I don't know his background <laughs> about being a bebopper. Yeah, that's funny as you ask that. Jeez. What, what, uh, he, yeah. he was taking Poopsie's place. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Hey, whose number did I say I can give you? Uh, uh Johnny Williams. Johnny Williams. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dude, this is unbelievable. Where does you talk to him at all, or or? or? Yes, yeah. We we talk because he and I are like we we think we're the only two that we know how we can reference our stories to. This is know? so important. It's so important, dude. Yeah, man, and he'll remember something that happened on that night that I don't. <laughs> I might remember something that happened that he don't. And then you get yeah. people like me that are stretching you out, and all of a sudden I start to prod around, and you start to remember stuff you didn't even think about. You know, that, that's right. That is right. So, so you're telling me that when you joined in '67, Johnny was already in the group in Basie's. No, band. no, Johnny wasn't in the group then. He didn't come in until like '70. You're gonna have to ask him, but it was in the early '70s. I will definitely. Yeah, hook. Get, let me get his number, dude. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. I got some things. Okay. All right. It's 803-707-6033. Johnny Williams. Yeah. And you see, uh, he, he replaced uh, Charlie Folks. Wow. Yeah. So you, Johnny, when did Johnny yeah. was Johnny was there probably longer than Charlie Folks because Johnny was there after Basie died, you know. Oh my God, this is so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so and, yeah. John, Johnny just only had to had, he couldn't take the road anymore because I think he had two or three hernias carrying that baritone sax through the airport. <laughs> my God. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. Did he wind yeah. up, I mean, did you follow his, what did he do after he, he was done with, well, I guess I'll ask him. I'll, I'll, I'll talk to him. Yeah, about you it. have to ask him, man, because 
we just talk. We just talk about how many dogs or cats he's feeding, or what the weather's like. <laughs> I love you guys, man. What? Yeah, what old guys talk about? <laughs> hey, Harold, listen. I'm gonna be out in uh, the Bay Area in May, and I'm not. You know, I I would love to just even meet up, grab a cup of coffee or something. If you're, I mean, I'm not sure if you're seeing other people, but. I would just love to see you and, 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 you know, catch a hang for even, you know, half hour. Give me a call, man. Give me a heads up the week before you're thinking you're coming. And then and then we'll do it the day before you think you're coming. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, well, no, I'll, I'll be, I'll be, I'll barrage you with, uh, with calls <laughs> yeah. a week before and we'll get it together. Yeah. Man. Okay. All right, baby. Okay. Great to hear you, man. Thank you for everything. Right. Yeah. Okay, man. All right. All be right. cool, man. Okay. Bye. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.